Your Bibles go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 tonight, if you would please. 1 Corinthians chapter number 13. This is uh, one of the, I would say, one of the most important chapters in all of your New Testament as a Christian. If you want to grow in Jesus Christ and be the kind of Christian the Lord would have you to be, I can't think of a heavier passage than this one regarding um, you and uh, your conformity to your Savior and your ability to help other people and reach other people be useful for the Lord. Uh, I'll never forget years ago, uh, my mom, as, as being particularly, uh, particularly nasty around the house, and I uh, was not married, it wasn't Grace, it was my mom. I've never been this way as a married man, but um, <laughs> you can laugh, it's okay. Uh, at least a pity laugh, please. Um, and anyways, I, I was being particularly nasty, and my mom looked at me and she said, you need to memorize 1 Corinthians 13. And uh, my mom was one of those, you know, Italian mothers who very rarely do their children ever do wrong, and they're always wonderful, and you know what I mean, that kind of Italian thing. You know what I'm saying? That's wonderful if that's your mom, that's a good thing. It's not so good for the child's development, but it's super good for the child's psyche if that's your mom, you know what I'm saying? And uh, so my mom didn't get too nasty too often, uh, but a few times she lit into me, and when she lit into me, it kind of hit me, because she wasn't usually very critical, you know, and she said, you need to memorize 1 Corinthians 13, and I thought... Wow. So I did. <laughs> you know, got her. You know, <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and so this is uh, actually a passage. It's funny because I've I could recite it to you for years now. I've probably been able to recite it for over twenty years. Um, but it, it's weird because I, I think maybe pieces of it are just starting to make sense, and I feel like a lot of it's still going over my head. Let's go ahead and read the chapter. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faiths that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth. Whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know, even as also I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. Let's pray. Father, I ask you to help me tonight as we teach through this passage of Scripture. I pray, Lord, that your presence and power would be on it, and that you'd help us, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, to be able to uh, ingest and understand what it is this thing is teaching, and to take home the the life-changing simplicity of this passage of Scripture. Help us to be a charitable church, Lord, and charitable individuals. We ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, notice it says charity. Uh, Have not charity in verse number 1. 
over and over again throughout the passage, it uses the word charity. That's important because it doesn't use the word love. Your new Bibles all want to change this charity to love. They, they, they say charity is just too hard to understand. It's an archaic English word. The modern meaning of charity is giving and donating. And so they go in and they change the word charity to love. But I'm here to tell you charity is not love, although charity contains love. Within the word charity, there is love. But charity is not love. They're two different things. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Go to Genesis chapter number 27, please. Uh, I was trying to confirm this. Um, I, I don't think this is the first time the word love is mentioned, but here's a great context for the word love. Uh, Genesis 27 and verse number 4. Yeah, the first time love is shown is the love of a father for his son. That's uh, Abraham for his son Isaac. Genesis chapter, uh, I said 24, I meant 27, verse 4. He says, and make me savory meat such as I what? Love. Oh, you see the word? Yeah. You mean somebody can have love for food? So, so that's a pretty shallow definition of the word love. Uh, modern day Americans do love food. This is the one thing you're allowed to do and be right with God. You can be a glutton, you just can't be a drunkard. Do you understand what I'm saying? Uh, we harp on drunkenness and we ought to. It's a sin. But boy, we joke about how much we eat which is equally as much of a sin. You know, you can love food. That's not a spiritual love. That's not a spiritual love at all. Nothing about that spiritual. But you can love food. Look at another way the word love is used. Go to 2 Samuel 13. This is going to get even nastier. 2 Samuel chapter number 13. Just, just defining this for us for a second and showing you why it's important that the word charity is there and that we not ever change our Bibles. Um, these these uh, biblical midgets that think that they're, you know, Mr. Theologians, uh, they're idiots. When they come in here and say love is a better understanding of, the, of, of this chapter, charity is what it should say. Second Samuel chapter 13, verse 1, It came to pass after this that Absalom, the son of David, had a fair sister whose name was Tamar, and Amnon, the son of David, loved her. You say, what's the big deal? You know what he did to her? He raped her and then he threw her away. He loved her. So the word love is not the same as the word charity. And if you try to make the word charity love, you are perverting the scriptures. Now this would preach for about an hour and a half right here, young ladies. I'm sorry, I can't help it. I'm a girl dad, okay? He might love you. Oh, he loves me. Yeah, I'm sure he does love you. I'm sure he just can't live with us. He, he, he can't breathe without you. But that don't make it spiritual. It can actually be demon-possessed and love you. If he starts putting his hands on you for he's married you, starts wanting to do things that you should not be doing until you're married, he loves himself. Well, we're going to get married. I hope so. I hope so for your sake. But I'm telling you right now, he doesn't love you. That, what he's doing is an act of selfishness. It has nothing to do with love for you. Well, I know a lot of good men who... Okay, well, somebody lucked out. Thank God that, that they lucked out. That doesn't mean you're going to luck out. 
and that he's going to marry you and get things right and go on for God just because other people did doesn't mean it's going to happen that way for you. And I will guarantee you one thing about him. He doesn't love you in a godly way even if he loves you. It's childish, immature love. you got to think about it for a second, and I'm not going to be crude or inappropriate, but, but some of this stuff animals can do. You understand what I'm saying? Stinking nature. They don't make it love. Go to John chapter number 3, please. I don't make it charity, I should say, even though it's love. We're in love. Okay, don't mean God's in it. John chapter 3, look at verse number 19. Just trying to help you out a little bit. Is it all right? You, moms and dads don't mind, do you? Okay, good. All right. I'm just checking. I'm making sure. I don't mind. I'm the dad, and I got kids in here, so I'm good with it. You know what I mean? <laughs> John chapter 3. And by the way, I'm helping out the young people too. I mean it from a good heart. I, I do. I think we got good young people in this church, and I'm thankful for it. And I want to keep it that way. It means something to me. Amen. People make mistakes. I understand all that stuff. We'll cross bridges when we come to those bridges, but I'd rather not have to cross some if I don't have to, wouldn't you? That's what preaching's for. You're welcome. Supposed to be teaching tonight. Well, I'm the pastor. I do what I want. Amen. John chapter 3. Or I do what the Holy Spirit tells me to do. There we go. John chapter 3. Look at verse 19. And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world. And men what? Oh. (laughs) You mean you can love darkness? Oh, yeah. Now, do you see why God uses the word charity in 1 Corinthians 13? Let's go back over there. I think the point has been made. I do want to show you a couple more things. Wait a second. Go to Romans chapter number 9, please. I got I to show you this because it, 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 it segues well into 1 Corinthians 13. Go to Romans 9 and look at verse number 13. There's no such thing, let me say this before I read this verse to you, there's no such thing as love without hatred. Think about that for a second. I mean, how can you have light without darkness? It wouldn't work. So there's no such thing as love without hatred. Do you understand what I'm saying? So they, they, the, the modern day church gets so infatuated with love, 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 love. We're supposed to be, you're supposed to be loving. And they don't understand God or the God of the Bible or true Christianity. A true Christian ought to be able to hate some things too. It does not make you wrong to hate some stuff. Um, I mean, I've said it a couple of times recently in the preaching and it's kind of a newer thing for me, but I don't know that I'm wrong. I actually have sat back and thought about it because I realize how some people latch on to certain things and try to use it against you and say, I hate that guy. Now, now hang on a minute. I know parents like, don't talk like that. Don't say, hey, don't say. We never have taught our children to say, I hate you. And if ever when they were little and they got into a little temper tantrum, and if you got kids, you know what I'm talking about, that thing come out. My wife and I got all over it like ugly on an eight. You understand what I mean? You don't talk to your family like that. And you don't just throw that around. You understand? You know, oh, I hate that guy. Oh, I hate them. I hate, well, why? <laughs> you better have a good reason. But there are some wicked and evil men and evil purposes and things that I hate. Now look at Romans 9.13. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I... You mean God hates? Yes. God hates some things. No, God, God just loves the people he casts in hell for eternity. Now stop and think about that for a minute. 
You go, oh, hang on a second. What are you saying? Well, you rejected his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the time clock has run up, and you think God's disloyal to his son and to his bride and to everybody else that made a choice to follow him and suffer for his name's sake and signed up to bear their cross and follow his son? You think God's going to be disloyal to those people and to his only begotten son? No, you think God's not angry with the wicked every day? You think God doesn't hate wickedness and hate the wicked themselves? These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven, an abomination unto him, a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that deviseth wicked imagination, feet that be swift and run into mischief, a false witness, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren, God said he hates him. Ouch. Well, that's part of the character of God. Now, now go with me to uh, 1 John, please, chapter number 4. Then we'll come back to this passage here in 1 Corinthians. Go to 1 John, chapter number 4. I want you to start with me in verse number 7. Now, here the word love is used, and it's perfectly fine to use it. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Well, how about that? That's the verse they use to tell you there's no hatred in God at all. Well, that's not consistent with the Scripture when you rightly divide it and you compare Scripture to Scripture. Here he's talking to the saved people, and he's talking about our understanding of who God is and the side of God that we got in on. It's like this. My daughters can tell you every day of the week, oh, my dad's a sweetheart, my dad loves us, my dad's a great girl dad, or whatever they would say if they're going to be nice to me and lie, you know, you know what I'm saying? He's a sweetheart, you know what I mean? But the guy that breaks into my house at 3 o'clock in the morning, I mean, last morning at 3 a.m. when she woke me up, said the security is calling, you know, ADT is calling, I grabbed my 357, I got out of my bed, I walked out of my bedroom, and I was absolutely wide awake, my adrenaline was flowing. I felt it. That's why I laid there praying for you guys for a little while because I had to calm it down. I've become accustomed to it. I know what it feels like. And I walked, I walked around my house and I was, there, was, there wasn't too much of a doubt in my mind what would have definitely happened if I'd have seen anybody. And I mean, I know it's one thing to say it, it's another, but in that moment, I was 100% clear about exactly what I was going to do. What are your intentions? Stop. Stay there. No, I was going to like put a knife in his hand after I blew his head off. You understand what I'm saying? I, there, there's no except I, no that that guy you'd never convince that guy that I'm loving I will kill you you come into my house at night and my family's in there I will kill you you understand that right like I, I don't care why because that's my family right well there's two sides as a child of God you know another side don't you that doesn't mean he doesn't hate the wicked and he's not angry with them but you and I are supposed to know something different about him God is love. And this was manifested, verse 9, the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. Herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, thank you, brother. How'd you know I needed that? If we love one another, God dwelleth in us. And his love, watch this, is perfected in us. You know what you could say right there? That's charity. The perfection of the love of God in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us because he hath given us of his spirit. Now, that 
love of God, the charity that's manifested in us and it's manifested by the Spirit of God in us, I'm going to show you charity is the way we treat one another through the Spirit of God by the love of God manifested in us as we grow in Jesus Christ. There's a perfecting process of our love for God and His love for us that comes and it takes time. I'm going to show it to you in a minute. It takes time to develop Christian charity, but it is the manifestation of that love of God. So like I said before, it contains love, but love is not a good definition of the word charity. Charity goes beyond that and has a different application because love can be manifested in sinful ways as a human being and in immature ways as a human being. But charity is the most fulfillment and maturing and developing of that as it's expressed towards other people. So it says, love is perfected in us. Verse 13, hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us because he hath given us of his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the father sent the son to be the savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the son of God, God dwelleth in him and he in God. And Giovanni did that this morning. It's a blessing. It's amazing when somebody trusts Christ as their Savior, you can, you can see the look on their face. You, you, you can just, and, and I don't go by that, right? I go by the facts of the Bible, and, but you can, always, you can just tell, man. I mean, you can just see it. Uh, it's encouraging. Why? Because something, something supernatural took place in their heart, man. There's a change, and you know it when it happens. I mean, you know it. Uh, you can't have the God of the universe move into your soul and not be aware of it. it ha- you know it. Verse 16, and we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. Herein is our love made, see it? It's charity. Our love made perfect. That we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. You see how it's the Lord? As he is, so are we in this world. There's no fear in love, but perfect love. See it? It's love perfected. You understand what I'm saying? It's a developing process. It's something that takes place with time, and I will show you in, in a minute how that thing comes out. Uh, he that feareth is not made perfect in love. Uh, there's, there's, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear because fear of torment. He that is per- feareth is not made perfect in love. That's verse 18. We love him because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, you see that? That's that charity. That's that manifestation towards other people. When a guy say, says, I love God, but he hates other Christians, he's a liar. He doesn't love God. It doesn't say he's not saved. It says he's lying. He doesn't love God. For he that loveth not his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. With that in mind, go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. What we're going to look at here is we're going to look at perfection of love. We're going to look at Christian charity. It says in verse number one, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Interesting point here is that the, 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 uh, the philosophers, the scholars, excuse me, say that you know the Greek word for love, there's two different Greek words, it's agape and phileo, right? And so what they do is they take charity out of, the ver- out of the passage and they put love in. And then they go, oops, we kind of messed up because we need to clarify love because idiots like Mike Reagan are going to show people in the Bible that there's actually really, there's kind of like not so good love. So then they go into agape love and phileo love, which really doesn't even f- cover the thing because phileo love is your brotherly love. And so then they'll say, this love is phileo. It's, it's brotherly love. Uh, okay, so what about the fact that there's 
wicked, sensual, ungodly love. There's love for darkness. There's, there's, there's filthy love in the Bible as well. What about that? So since they pull out charity, they go, oops, we made a mistake. We were going to put love in, but then we're just going to tell them that there's two different kinds of love, phileo and agape. And agape is love for God, phileo is love for your brother, which is all a bunch of tomfoolery because when you actually go and look at the way God used them and look at it in the Greek, they're used interchangeably. But don't worry about it. It doesn't matter. So they're lying to you is what I'm trying to tell you. And they're, they're making a straw man because what they did is mess with the word of God, which if you don't mess with it, it's going to make all the sense in the world if you just study it like God gave it to you. He says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, it, it becomes powerless noise. By the way, the tongues of angels, when you study your Bible, you know what the angel's tongue is? A heavenly language? You know what it is? You study the book of Revelation or you look at what the angels came and what language they used when they came. Book of Revelation, you know what they're using? Hebrew. A little bit of Bible study blows these guys straight out of the water with all their charismatic garbage. The language they're speaking that's a heavenly language is Hebrew. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. He says, though I speak with the tongues of men. Well, there's lots of different tongues of men. They're spread all over the world. You know, the charismatic movement thought in the early days that they were going to spread the gospel to the whole world because God was going to give them the ability to speak tongues in the over 6,000 languages that there are. And very quickly, they figured out that's not happening. So now they use their tongues within the local church, the, conf the confines of their church building. If what they really had was true, then we wouldn't need to be translating all these Bibles. They'd be going all over the world, speaking every language, every dialect they ran into. When they found some uncontacted tribe, they'd immediately be able to pick up on whatever dialect it is, and they'd be able to preach the gospel to them. That gift is gone. But what Paul is saying is, though, he didn't say, I do speak with the tongues of men and angels. He said, though I do. So he's using it sort of as a hypothetical, very obviously by the passage. He says, if you got all these gifts and all these abilities and you're speaking with all this, this amazing ability to speak in other languages, but you don't have charity, you know what you are? You're nothing more than a noisemaker. It's a powerless, empty noise. Verse number two. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. What he's saying right there is people don't care how much you know or how godly you are. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries. Okay, so? They, people don't really care. And all knowledge. Oh, I, he knows his Bible so well. You, look, can I just say something rude? Nobody cares how much Bible you know. Nobody cares if you can beat everybody else in a sword drill. Oh, he always gets to the passages first. You really know your Bible. When people say things like that to you, they're just saying it. Do you understand that? Like to them, it's like, oh man, you really know a lot. Like, like then they get in their car and they forget about you 10 seconds later. Your head's like, oh man, I'm really something, you know? And it, it doesn't mean anything to them. Okay, so you know your Bible. Good for you. Oh, he's got all the answers. Well, good for you. Though I have all this, and if this was even true of me, And though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains. Man, they have so much faith in God. It's amazing the things they've accomplished for God. But, but they don't have any charity. They got it all. They know it all. They have all the answers. Great preacher. Great Bible teacher. Been serving God forever. But, but there's nothing about them charitable. They're just a stinking dry, nasty, selfish, 
self-centered, egotistical, self-obsessed. Nobody cares. It means absolutely nothing that you have all these gifts and all this knowledge and all these abilities. If you're not a charitable person, all your gifts, knowledge, and abilities drives people away. It does not have any power of God. It is not a blessing. I don't care what your looks are. I don't care how much money you have. I don't care how popular you are. It really means absolutely nothing if you're a jerk. Amen. I am nothing, verse 2. Verse 3, and bestow, I bestow all my goods to feed the poor. So right there you see that he's not defining charity the way modern day people define, you know, Salvation Army. You know, we're such good people. We give all our junk to Salvation Army so they can throw it away. Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. So you're generous You have unlimited devotion to spiritual things. That's what it's saying. Bestow all my goods. Listen, talking about you sold your house. You paid off the balance if there was one. You take all of the equity and you give it to the Haitians. To the Haitian churches. To the Mexican churches. I bestow all my goods to feed the poor. Not just everything in this world that I have, but I'm going to even go farther and I'm going to go to the stake and be burned alive for Jesus Christ. So your generosity is unbelievable. It's, it's, it's unsurpassed. Like Only God gave more than you gave. And on top of that, your faith is so real to you that you'll go to the stake and be burned for Jesus Christ. It means nothing if you're a jerk. How many Christians do you know that really, I mean, they just really seem to got it, but they're arrogant, they're self-righteous, they're stuck up, they're not very accepting of new people, they're not very kind to that obnoxious, annoying person that joins the church, they don't accept the, 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 the strange ones, you know, that like to come in and try to get into our club. You know what your problem is? It don't matter how, how many spiritual gifts you are, how much devotion you got to God, how holy you think you are. You're nothing when you're a jerk. It profiteth me nothing. So now, after he goes through and makes his point very clearly to one of the most gifted churches in the New Testament, people that have all this exceptional abilities, he's really made his point. Here's what he says in verse number 4 through 7. He shows us a definition of what charity is. So, so here it is. The, it, it, I can't make more of it than it is, okay? I mean, I would love to give you something that's like, oh, I finally get it, light bulb moment. But, but in all honesty, it's, the definition's there, and it's too simple. <laughs> and when it gets this simple, it's like right where the rubber meets the road, this is actually something I can... You mean this is something I can actually, this is something I'm expected to actually do? (laughs) Charity suffereth long and is kind. So do you know what that means? If you want charity, you want to be that kind of Christian, you want the judgment seat of Jesus Christ to mean something when you get there, God's going to have to allow you to suffer. 
Do you understand that? That is why a brand new Christian can't be expected to have charity yet. Do you understand what I'm saying? Regarding ministry. He says, not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the snare of the devil. Right? There's a proving period. You're going to notice, even in the New Testament, he says, lay hands suddenly on no man, even in the Bible times. Lay hands suddenly on no man, neither be a partaker of other men's sins, in ordaining young men to the ministry. But you're going to notice, if you get around the right kind of preachers, the older guys are not super fast to jump on the latest ministry out there. The latest, you know, superhero preacher. The older guys are really slow and really reluctant to start jumping on board and and giving their credibility after years of building it, after going through major downs in the ministry, major trials, attacks of the devil, struggles in their personal life, and God then begins to do a work in them and through them and build something real, you're going to notice they're real slow to jump on board with some new guy that hasn't yet been tested. What we're talking about in developing Christian charity, your walk with Jesus Christ will have to be tested. You're going to have to suffer. And sometimes that suffering could be just so simple as, why did God put them in our church? Now, just so you know, lest the devil plays in somebody's head, I don't know of any of this going on here. I think we're all pretty happy and everybody loves everybody. We're all one big happy family and everything's perfect, right? Okay, so just take that for what it is, all right? Really. But in truthfulness, as I know people and human nature, it's going to be like, yeah, why'd that have to happen? Why are they friends with them? And, and it hurts sometimes. And sometimes there's good reasons because of the things that happen with people. There's good reasons. And you're going to have to learn to deal with it. Sorry, I'm not trying to be mean. If you want Christian charity, you're going to have to learn to deal with it. And deal with it kindly. Man, well, they hurt me. They backstabbed me. They, they owe me money. They told me they were going to do this, and they didn't. And they were talking about this, and she was my best friend. And, you know, I confided in her all my, you know, marriage problems, which you shouldn't be doing. Right. But we were tight. We were besties, which you shouldn't be doing. There are people God has placed in your life to go to for those kind of things where it's a safe place to get real help that's not going to get spread everywhere. Please. You shouldn't be talking to your bestie about some things. And then, you know, something happened, life happened, and then my bestie went and took all my information and spread it around. And we're stuck in the same church. I'm preaching now. You know what you have an opportunity to do? You have an opportunity to to develop some charity. And it's in suffering. And you don't develop the charity if while that suffering is there, you're a jerk. Or you're mean to the person that hurt you. You have an opportunity now to be kind. And God is watching how you handle your sufferings to see if he's going to give you some things. Hey, put a little more on his account. Hey, he was just nice to somebody that was mean to him. He knew that brother was talking about him and they just ran into each other. And he was real kind and real encouraging and real friendly to him. I want you to put a little more on his account, would you? Put a little more in his bank. Put a little more in his bank. Do you see what she just did? Put some more in her bank. That's what God's doing. You believe that, don't you? 
You know that, right? It's not fun, is it? But it's charity. You see how this isn't love? This isn't a feeling? This is some facts. This is a character. And it comes through time. It comes through God allowing you to be in negative situations. By the way, as he defines it, uh, nine of the things are negative and seven of them are positive. Welcome to the Christian life. Charity envieth not. You know what envy is? It's a work of the flesh. When you go over to to the book of Galatians and you look at envy, it's in perfect contrast. As he goes through and tells you what the works of the flesh are, then he shows you the works of the Spirit. Envy is a perfect contrast to the work of the Spirit of God. Envy is a work of your flesh. Somebody else has something you want. And so as a result, now all of a sudden you begin to hate the person that has something that you want because they have it and you don't. You'll know you're getting envious because before you thought good of them and now all of a sudden all you can see is all the negative. You got an envy problem. Well, that's a lack of charity because charity doesn't envy somebody else. Charity says, hey, I'm happy for you. Praise the Lord. That's good and and means it. It envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself is not puffed up. Uh, Interesting, this is the only time the word vaunteth appears in your whole Bible The word vaunt shows up in Judges chapter 7. So let's get a definition of it the way God uses it. Judges chapter 7, please look at verse 2. Judges chapter 7 and verse number 2. The Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands. Lest Israel vaunt themselves. See it? Against me saying, Mine own hand hath saved me. The only time the word vaunt is used in your Bible is right here. The, the people that are with you, Gideon, are too many. You have too much power. You've got too many guys with you. So what I want you to do is get rid of a bunch of them. Because if I give you the Midianites right now, you're not weak enough. You're going to be proud of yourself. You're going to think you did it. You're going to puff yourself up. You're going to vaunt yourself thinking you did, got the job done, so I'm going to take away all your credentials and all what you think is important. I'm going to weaken you extremely in order for me to get the glory out of what I'm going to do with you in the Midianites. See how, see how in the text he says, Lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, Mine own hand hath saved me. Back to 1 Corinthians 13. So there's your Old Testament illustration and definition of the word vaunt. Vaunt means to vain, a vain display of one's worth attainments or decorations, to talk with vain ostentation, to brag, to vaunt is to be puffed up in pride. And boy, how many Christians get that problem? Start thinking you're something when you're nothing. You know what charity doesn't do? Charity does not vaunt itself. It's not puffed up. This is exactly why God says, not a novice, let's be lifted up with pride. He fall into the condemnation of the devil. Because what does God do? God honors his son. God honors His Word. God blesses the preaching of the Word of God. So if a man believes the Bible and will preach the Bible, then God will honor that. You know what the problem is? When a guy is immature spiritually, he thinks it's him. He thinks it's his great preaching. Because all the people are leaving, oh, that was a blessing. I really needed that. Oh, I'm glad you're my pastor. And I love it. I I need it. I'm thankful. I'm not asking you to do it. I'm saying, when the Lord leads you to say something like that, you have no idea how much it helps me. (laughs) It's a blessing. I got some text messages this afternoon. They're just a blessing, just encouraging. Just, I'm glad you're our pastor. You've been a blessing. I mean, that's just, that's a blessing, man. That's wonderful. 
So I'm not knocking you down for saying that. What I'm saying is, you sometimes start to believe the nice things people say about you. It's great for people to say those things, right? It's fine as long as you don't believe it. <laughs> as long as you don't think it's you. That's the point. You've got to recognize it's God. A charitable Christian doesn't vaunt himself. He doesn't feel like, well, I don't know why pastor has him preach and not me. Well, that's exactly why, right there. Because you don't have any charity. Well, I don't know why they're doing it, not me. You know, God chooses weak things. So maybe it's a compliment to you because you're just so skilled and talented and you're so amazing and you're so wonderful and you're the perfect candidate, so God had to pass you up. You ever stop and think about that? Charity doesn't vaunt itself. It's not puffed up. See the connection between the two? That's, that's arrogance. That's pride. It does not behave itself unseemly. That's inappropriately or, or, or kind of off-color, just a bad fit. Boy, I've seen this in church. I've watched. I sat there as a little boy in the, in the business meetings and watched them jump up and scream and yell and get mad and go back and forth and chew each other out. And It's like, what is going on? Well, I'll tell you what's going on. A complete void of charity. Baby Christians. Complete carnality. Just getting all jacked up and acting the way you should not act in a place you shouldn't be acting that way. That's what it is. I'll never forget, man, my dad went over to a guy's house and he was trying to, trying to help the guy and, and uh, his wife had gotten hit by a train. Uh, she was alive. Um, I don't have any idea where they're at, if they're even alive anymore or not, but I remember she got hit by a train in the car and she had nerve problems as a result. I remember her hands were shaking and stuff. She had really been messed up and I don't know much about him, so I can't really, you know, say too much. All I do remember is the guy was a jerk. I remember that. And I remember she was a sweetheart from, from what my kid memory is, okay? So take that for what it is. I'm not giving any names, but this is my kid memory. She was a sweetheart and had been through some very unfortunate things, and he was a jerk. And uh, always argumentative, always difficult. Every time he came to church, he was just trouble. My dad went over there to try to visit them, and, and, uh, and the guy just was just getting in my dad's face and mean. I mean, angry with my dad, like aggressive. And I remember her saying, Michael, come on, come with me, come with me. And she, she well, you want a popsicle? And I'm, dad, dad, hey, dad, dad, I know he wants to beat you up, but I got a really important question, dad. You know, <laughs> what? <laughs> can I have a popsicle? Yeah, you can have a popsicle. <laughs> cool, I got a popsicle. This is great. Let me sit down and watch the show. Oh, and dad will beat him up, you know. Like, <laughs> She took me out on the porch, and I still remember her hand shaking, trying to open up that popsicle for me, and handing me that popsicle, trying to be sweet, trying to distract me from what was going on. You know, you know what was going on in there? Let me tell you what was going on in there. Complete void of charity. Some grown man that's too stupid and immature to know how a man's supposed to act. You know what his problem was? He didn't have any charity. Oh, he was, he's mad! He has a reason to be mad! I'll bet he does. I'll bet you got a real good reason to be mad, don't you? You child. I'll bet you that. I mean, I, I'll bet you you're even right. I'll bet you you're right and they're wrong. Your wife's being moody. Your kids are driving you crazy. Way to be, way to be a leader. Throw a fit. Act like a baby. Be a jerk about it all. See, do you understand what I'm saying? It's a void of charity. That's the problem. You're a child. You're acting like a child. And the time comes when you ought to know how to behave. You should, you, we train our kids how to behave, right? Yeah. Hello? Yeah. Doesn't there come a time in your life where you're like, honey, listen. 
Don't wear that again. You look goofy. Love you. You look goofy. When you go to the store, don't look like that, right? Don't you do that for your kids? You love them, right? You teach them what's appropriate and what's not appropriate. You, you don't always humiliate them if they're kind of innocent in the moment, unless they're being rebellious in the moment, not obeying you. Then they're embarrassing you. You have a right to embarrass them back. Excuse me. I know nowadays you're taught to pamper their little psyches and never say the word hate around them and all that stuff. But if they're going to embarrass you in public, then you have a right to say, excuse me. Amen. Right? Yes, sir. But if they're just kind of like awkward, don't they go through those stages? Yeah. I, I'm sure we got some nine-year-olds in here. We love you guys. I always tease my kids. I said, you got nine-year-old-itis, right? And then there would be 10-year-old-itis and then 11-year-old-itis. But by the time they're 12, 13, 14, 15, 8, they're, they're perfect. It's never a problem again. But you understand what I'm saying, right? What do you do with your children? You teach them what's appropriate and what's not appropriate. There's like behaviors like, hey, that was kind of awkward. Don't be awkward. You're acting like your friends at school. Don't do that again. Okay? Or I'm going to give you a new last name. All right? Don't you do that? Why? Because you're teaching a child how to act like an adult. I mean, there ought to come a time in our Christian life's, life when we know how to just kind of conduct ourselves. When I'm not feeling great today, which I feel fine. I'm, not, I'm just saying, like, you walk in, I'm not feeling great today, but somebody gets on my nerves, but so what? They annoyed me, but that doesn't mean I'm going to act out and misbehave. You know what that is? That's charity. Somebody acts out and misbehaves, that's a lack of charity is what it is. It doesn't behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own. Some people, all they care about is them. They never see the bigger picture. They never consider what's better for everybody else. It's always you, 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 you. You have to be the center of attention at all times. If oh, They didn't say hi to me. They didn't shake my hand. He just walked right by me. Well, grow up. Grow up and then it won't bother you. Be charitable and it won't bother you. Seek not our own. Rejoiceth, uh, I'm sorry, is not easily provoked. You ever know people with that? I just have a short fuse, brother. That's not an excuse. Grow up. You have a lack of charity. Hey, we're all, we all get there, amen? I know, I, got, I wrote the book on short temper. I'm Italian and Irish, you get it? It's not an excuse. There's no excuse. It's a lack of charity. When you're just easily <clears throat> aggravated, you need to grow spiritually. Is not easily, easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. Man, so many Christians like to think the worst. They just do. They like to think the worst of everybody all the time. Just assume the worst and think the worst. and That's a lack of charity. Rejoiceth not in iniquity. That sinful stuff ought not interest you. You ought not even want to click on that latest article of some creepy pedophile that did something disgusting. You ought to just be like, I don't need that. I don't need that. I don't need that. I don't need that. I don't need any of this. I guess I'm just going to get off this app or shut this TV off or whatever. Rejoiceth not in iniquity. It's kind of nice being innocent, isn't it? I mean, we've all lost our innocence, but there's something about being innocent that's just, no wonder kids are so happy. You know, the little ones, they just are just, they, they don't got a clue. <laughs> well, a good Christian doesn't want to know all this stuff. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. There you go. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. So a charitable Christian, when, when problems get put on them, they bear it. 
they just get underneath it and they just carry that load and they lean on Jesus and they get through it. They bear all things and they believe everything the Bible teaches. They believe all things and they hope all things. Don't give up your hope. I mean, we ask prayer for Ramona's brother. Pray. Ask prayer for lost loved ones and family members. We were talking about some family members this morning on the front porch. And pray. Don't give up hope. They're never going to get saved. I know the feeling of saying I've just given up on them. We were just talking about it. Just like, yeah, you know me, I'm a bit of a doubter. <laughs> I'm with you. Why? Just too much experience with people. Sometimes you go, that's a hopeless case. But you know what we can do? We can hope all things. You know what the God will do in you? The charity of God will do in you? It'll get you to say, you know, wouldn't it be super, super cool if God worked a miracle and that person we thought would never get saved actually gets saved? Wouldn't it be super, super cool if God worked a miracle and that person we thought would never get right just had the fresh, wonderful feeling of just cracking under the pressure of the Holy Spirit of God because we wouldn't quit praying for them and just emptying out, getting right, and becoming the person that God actually could make that individual to be. I don't care how nasty the person is. Some of the people that you know and their personality types are so nasty. If God got a hold of those individuals and they really gave their heart to Jesus Christ, that same personality type, what God would do with that knuckle-headed, stubborn, jerk, opinionated idiot if they gave their heart to Jesus Christ and just said, I love God, I love the Bible, and I ain't quitting. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean just, I'm just talking about hope in all things. Yeah. That's charity, man. Why, why give up? And endureth all things. Now watch this. Charity never faileth. There's a spiritual application of it. I remember years ago, my dad was asking an older preacher something, and, and I, I was sitting there. Uh, it was Don Green. And I was sitting there listening. And, uh, and he, he, was, he was talking about how to deal with something that was driving him crazy. And all Don Green would say is, charity never fails, brother. And my dad was, yeah, but, you know, my dad was young back then. I mean, younger than I am now. I think quite a bit younger. Yeah, brother, but, and he said, charity never fails, brother. Charity never fails. <laughs> And, and that's not what this is saying, but it was a great spiritual application. <laughs> He's saying, you know what? Don't matter. Charity's going to work. Just keep charity. But what this is saying is charity doesn't stop. Now watch, watch how I know what it's talking about. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. How about that? That's why we don't exercise them. We don't practice them now. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. But charity is not going to. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. That's us in the here and now. You understand that? That's right now. What do we know? Well, what we know is in part. There's a lot of stuff we don't know. And I'm going to tell you right now, there's a lot of stuff God's never going to tell you. And I kind of wish he would. But Paul said, God showed him some things that are unlawful for man to utter. Now that to me is super interesting when you come to the fact that God takes John up and shows him a whole bunch of stuff about eternity, future, and heaven, and all that stuff. I, 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 I have a hard time understanding whether that means, and I'm not sure, whether that means I can't utter him now, but John's going to show you, or unlawful for man to utter, period. In other words, John didn't show you everything that God showed Paul which is what I lean towards, that 
There's still stuff out there you and I do not know and are not going to know. We know in part. And we prophesy in part. Man, i got to keep that in mind. It's okay to not always have all the answers. You know that? we got enough answers to beat anybody and everybody else and why we believe what we believe and stand for it and defend it. I mean, from here to heaven and back, we can defend what we believe because of this Bible. But we still don't know it all. I can't stand getting around know-it-alls. I just, I absolutely cannot stand it. And I hate getting in environments where some little punk is going to try to trip me up or catch me on something stupid I said. You know what kind of gives me a little joy? <laughs> kind of gives me a little joy when they ask me a really good question. I go, I don't know, man. <laughs> Walk away. <laughs> you know, what are you doing? Being a jerk? I'm not being a jerk. I, I'm not being a jerk. I'm not. I promise. I'm trying to make a point that they won't ever forget. And they probably won't get it for 10, 15, or 20 years until someday they figure it out and go, oh, he knew I was going to try to challenge him and he was being nice. <laughs> Why is he so rude? Because he loves you, stupid. And it doesn't matter. It's some, some dumb little thing you found somewhere and you think you got the corner on the market because you know so much. You know what? Get some charity and then people will want to hear you teach something. But until you got some charity, nobody wants to hear you teach anything. Amen. We used to have a problem with that around here. Years ago, we had a, had a problem with the guys all sitting around getting into Bible debates and arguments and they got heated and get going back and forth. You know what it was? It was immaturity. We know our Bibles. Okay, go have fun somewhere else. We're a church here. We're a church family. We got people that have to go to work in the morning. People that just need help. People that got some burdens and problems and troubles and trials. And we're just trying to be church. We're not trying to be know-it-alls. And we all don't know it all anyways. We know in part. We prophesy in part. So just deal with that. Amen. Amen. Now look at verse 10. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. That is not talking about the King James Bible. Do you know how many people think that's talking about the completion of the Bible? It's not. Funny thing. All these guys who want to change charity to love are the ones that tell you this is talking about the Bible. And then the Bible believers that don't believe in touching the Bible at all say, that ain't talking about the Bible. Isn't that weird? They put this like undue devotion to the Word of God while they correct it. They're trying to, they're, what, what, it's doing, what they're doing, it's a sleight of hand. It's a magic trick. Oh, look, I believe the Bible. Well, you just corrected it. Oh, but when that which is perfect has come, that which is in part shall be done away. We have the completed revelation. Well, where do you find that in the context? So in the context, it's not talking about that. It's talking about the Lord. Look at verse 11. When I was a child, here's an illustration now. Paul's using an illustration in his preaching. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. Do you know children don't talk the way you talk? Right. And you don't expect them to, right? right? You slowly, patiently teach them. Just like God's trying to develop charity in us, slowly and patiently, over time, with a little pressure, a little pain, ups and downs of life, struggles, all those bad feelings and the frustration, and you're trying to learn how to handle that frustration toward that annoying brother or that person that hurts you and all that, you know, that dark, I'm really trying and I know I'm not trying, right? Anybody, am I alone or are you guys staring at me like a... What's he talking about? Right? Like, I know I shouldn't talk like this. I know I shouldn't be this way. And it's like, well, it's okay. We all go through that. It's part of it. That's part of it. What's God doing? He's developing the charity in you. And it's tough. And when you're there, you're there. 
And your mom and dad don't say, you know, hey, when you're 14, you should be acting like you're 34. When you're 12, you should be acting like you're 44. I don't think, I don't expect them to think like I think. Uh, sometimes I'll be sitting on the porch and I'm thinking about some stuff. And, and they'll come up and sit down by you. And then they're talking about like, you're like, that's not where my brain is right now. Right, right parents? But what do you do? You go, Lord, thank you, because I really needed a break from what I'm thinking about. And it's really refreshing to talk about stuff that they need to talk about. And it actually is. It's not a put down. It's actually kind of nice. But, but there's a difference in the way your brain works, right? Okay, that's the illustration. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. You know what he's talking about? Growing up. Now watch this. Verse 12. For now, that's the here and now. That's verse 9. For we know now in the present tense. We see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. You know what that is? You run the references on face to face. You know what it is? It's face to face. It's talking about when you stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, when you see him face to face, when you're there, whether after death or in a rapture, when you see the Lord Now I know in part, that's the here and now, but then shall I know even as also I am known. So what he's saying is, right now I get bits and pieces of it. It's like, I'm really trying and I know I shouldn't feel this way, but they really annoy me and I'm really trying to stop. Right? Okay, right now I see part of my problem. I'm looking at this glass, the Word of God, and I see the Lord, but I'm seeing it darkly, and I see myself, but I don't totally see myself like He sees me. I don't see you like He sees you. you got to keep that in mind. You don't see your brothers and sisters in Christ the way God sees them. You know, we can all overlook these little kids. So easy. But God sees some things you and I don't see. We don't, we don't pay them any attention. They're kids, right? I mean, unless they're yours and then they mean the world and, you know, mama bear thing. My life revolves around them because I love them. How do you love them? You can love them enough to die for them and be loving them very selfishly. Just a good thought for you. We overlook them, but you know what God doesn't do? God doesn't overlook them. I've seen a little kid sitting in church not long ago. The kid sat there for hours and did not hardly move. Just to see the preacher, if he moved where he couldn't see him. He's a little boy. I said to him and his parents later, I said, man, it was unbelievable the way you listened in church. He said, oh, thank you. Little Asian kid, real, real respectful, you know. Oh, thank you. I said, you're welcome. His parents were like, thank you. He does listen. I said, man, he's listening. I wonder what God sees. You see what I'm saying? We don't see it like God sees it. We don't see each other like God sees it. So the best thing for me to do, since I don't see you like God sees you, the best thing for me to do is be charitable towards you. Because maybe I'm being a jerk to somebody that God goes, yeah, I know they're annoying and I know they're struggling and I know they're not what you think they should be, but I see what I'm going to make them because I see what they want to be. But it's a process. So the day is coming that we're going to know even as also he already knows us. Verse 13, and now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three... These are still here. These are gifts that have not gone away. Faith, hope, and charity. Real good. Faith can move mountains. Hope's a great thing, ain't it? In a day and age when everybody's losing hope, man, it's good to have hope. 
That's a relieving feeling to just, just hope. Just something's good's going to come out of this. God's got something coming. Just the excitement of the Lord coming back or knowing the Lord's going to do something good down the road. Hope will keep you going. Hope deferred maketh the heart sick. But when, when the, when the uh, dream cometh, I think it is, it's a great thing, right? Hope's a good one. And charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. The greatest gift you can have in the church is not to be a preacher, not to be a musician, not to be a teacher, not to be a great soul winner and pack the church out and all the things we talked about in 1 Corinthians. The greatest gift you can have is something even the Sunday school kids can give each other. Charity. Being nice. Being kind. Being gentle. Not being a jerk when somebody else is a jerk to you. Even the little kids can do this for each other by the Spirit of God to be a blessing. And God goes, hey, did you see what that? Did you see that one? Did you see that one? Did you see that one? The little kids at church. Put something in their account. Put something in their account. Put something in their account. The smallest kids can do it. And the oldest Christian can do it. And he says, this is the mountaintop. The pinnacle of Christianity. Ain't that thrilling? Aren't you glad you came back tonight? Wasn't this the best message you ever heard? That is the greatest thing you can do as a Christian. The greatest thing you can do is develop charity. All right, let's go ahead and pray and we'll be dismissed.